Support for this podcast comes from Outdoor Supply Hardware, inviting listeners to OSHA's big anniversary sale celebration, May 20th through the 26th, featuring daily deals, $15,000 in giveaways, 20% off store-wide on Saturday and Sunday, and a lot more. Learn more at OSH.com. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Madi Bolaños in San Francisco. Governor Gavin Newsom has released a new plan for California to adapt to a hotter, drier future fueled by climate change. Newsom is directing the state to capture and store more rainfall, recycle wastewater, and desalinate seawater. We will lose 10% of our water supply by 2040. If all things are equal, we will lose an additional 10% of our supply by 2040. As a consequence of that deeper appreciation, that deeper understanding, we have a renewed sense of urgency to address this issue head on. Newsom's plan creates storage space for up to 4 million acre-feet of water and calls for recycling about a quarter of that by 2030. State leaders have earmarked more than $8 billion to modernize water infrastructure. In other news, one of the most closely watched housing bills has cleared a key legislative hurdle and now heads to the state Senate for a vote. Supporters say it could help developers build millions of housing units across the state. KQED's Aditi Bandlamudi reports. The Affordable Housing and High Road Jobs Act, or AB 2011, would make it easier to build housing in vacant strip malls. Some housing advocates argue these sites make the perfect setting for housing, being close to transit and other businesses. The bill passed the Senate Appropriations Committee in a vote 5 to 1. AB 2011 offers a number of labor protections, too, including prevailing wages for all projects and health care benefits for workers in larger ones. That's helped gain support from a number of big labor groups, including including the Northern California Carpenters Union. For the California Report, I'm Aditi Bandlamudi. Pepper spray was supposed to be phased out of L.A. County's juvenile halls nearly two years ago. But KPCC's Emily Elena Dugdale says probation department staff are still using the spray. Augustine Herrera says he's lost count of the number of times he was pepper sprayed while incarcerated in juvenile halls and camps. But he says he'll never forget how it felt. It just immediately felt like itching and it just like was burning. It was like to a point where I kind of wanted to claw my eyes for a second. The Board of Supervisors voted back in 2019 to ban pepper spray in juvenile halls. But kids have been sprayed hundreds of times since last June, according to probation records. Progress is frankly limited at this point. Chief Deputy Probation Officer Adam Bettino told the department's Oversight Commission in June that he needs more funding before he can stop using spray. He says he needs the money for training and to hire enough additional staff to maintain security and expand mental health support. Patino says a lot of probation officers have quit or are calling in sick to protest what they say are unsafe working conditions. That was KPCC's Emily Elena Dugdale. A former Los Angeles County assistant sheriff is suing Sheriff Alex Villanueva for alleged retaliation and seeking at least $3 million in damages. She was among the whistleblowers who accused Villanueva of trying to cover up an incident where a deputy knelt on an inmate's head. KCRW's Megan Jamerson has more. 
Robin Lamone claims Villanueva forced her to retire early from the department after filing a complaint about the incident. Lamone was the highest-ranking sheriff's department official to come forward with an eyewitness account after Villanueva allegedly tried to cover up the action of Deputy Douglas Johnson kneeling on the head of a handcuffed inmate at the San Fernando Courthouse in March 2021. Lamone's filing also alleges Villanueva was trying to avoid public scrutiny of the incident and blocked a criminal investigation. While the former assistant sheriff claims whistleblowers are not safe within LASD, the sheriff's department tells KCRW that, quote, the facts of the lawsuit are not supported and the case will be vigorously defended in court. For the California Report, I'm Megan Jamerson. Support for this podcast comes from Outdoor Supply Hardware, inviting listeners to OSHA's big anniversary sale celebration, May 20th through the 26th, featuring daily deals, $15,000 in giveaways, 20% off store-wide on Saturday and Sunday, and a lot more. Learn more at OSH.com. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone? hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years. Or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles. The Snap Judgment Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Two thousand mental health and substance use counselors with Kaiser Permanente plan to go on strike on Monday to protest long wait times. A recent state law requires healthcare providers to offer follow-up appointments for mental health care within ten business days. But during a state oversight hearing on the law this week, Kaiser Crisis Response Therapist Brandy Plumley said that's not happening. Understaffed, overworked, and the moral injury, again, of having to look your patient in the eye and say, I'm sorry, I can't see you for eight or 12 more weeks. That is beyond heartbreaking. That is not why we went to school. That's not what we were taught. The healthcare giant was fined $4 million by California state regulators in 2013 for not providing adequate mental health treatment. A Kaiser spokesperson said in a statement that it has been a challenge to recruit enough staff to meet high demand. A bill that would have allowed prosecutors to sue social media companies for addicting children to their platforms has failed to pass a state Senate committee. Social media companies could have faced fines in the hundreds of thousands of dollars under the proposal. Supporters say it was a way to protect children's mental health and hold these companies accountable. But California's influential tech industry argued it would do little to improve child safety. And now a preview of our sister show, The California Report's weekly magazine. This week, reporter Lisa Morehouse brings us the latest in her series, California Foodways. She's traveling to all 58 counties in the state, introducing us to the people behind the food we eat. I realize that even though there are so many cafeterias in our state, at tech companies and prisons and hospitals, I'd never reported on one. Hi, hi, Brooke. Morning. You guys wanted to go for here. So I went out to the town of Susanville in the northeast part of the state to meet up with Brennan Timol. 
He's a guy who never seems to take his apron off. He spends all week cooking at Lassen Community College Cafeteria. Baking pancakes from a liquid cheese. Okay. And all weekend cooking with family and friends. In both kitchens, Brennan draws on his culinary school training and the flavors of his childhood. Check out this lunch special. It's a seafood platter. So we have uh, calamari, some shrimp, codfish, and I'm gonna make a pokey, like a Hawaiian dish. He learned how to cook seafood growing up in the Pacific Island nation of Palau. Where I grew up, it's always fish, fish, fish. Every day we would have uncles come in with fresh cats of the day. His dad prepared sashimi and taught Brendan to sear tuna and make soup. So fish soup, pork soup, chicken soup. His mom preferred making biscuits and gravy. She helped Brennan with the first thing he ever cooked, cupcakes for his kindergarten graduation. As a teenager, if he was going to the beach with friends and they weren't eating chicken wings, they'd grab bento boxes. Rice and short ribs, fish and a side of kimchi. Because Palau is a small group of islands with a lot of food traditions. You can hear more about Brennan Timol and join Lisa as she eats with his family at home on this week's Half Hour magazine from the California Report. Tune in on your public radio station or download the magazine's podcast. And finally, roses are red, violets are blue. Most flowers smell nice, but not all of them do. And that's especially true for a rare tropical flower at the UC Santa Cruz Arboretum. KAZU's Jeremiah Edding has this story on how the corpse flower raised quite the stink. You know how most flowers smell sweet to attract pollinators like bees and butterflies? Well, in the tropical forests of Indonesia, on the island of Sumatra, a unique plant evolved with a bit of a different approach. It smells like roadkill. Yeah. Uh, a rotten egg. It's got like a moist death smell to it. Those are the voices of a few botanically curious onlookers who crowded into the UC Santa Cruz Arboretum to catch a whiff of the rare and endangered corpse flower. It's unlike any other flower in the world. It can reach a height of 12 feet tall. The corpse flower requires a full decade to bloom, but once it does, the flower and its stench only last for a few days. And as you just heard, it absolutely reeks. People have said it's the worst smell they've ever smelled, and it's very intense. That's Martin Quigley, the executive director of the Arboretum. Every insect for miles will smell the smell of rotting meat with a layer of and some vomit and some dead fish, too. So forget bees and butterflies. Think flies and beetles. The corpse flower attracts insects that lay their eggs in rotten meat. The intense smell draws them inside the flower like a magnet. By the time the insects realize there's actually no meat, they're already covered in pollen. All about sex and lust, and the lust and the the desire to eat red meat. The Arboretum received its corpse flower a decade ago, and that means this year, it was finally ready to bloom. Its nickname? Big Ed. Social media exploded with anticipation as the flower grew between four and six inches a day. Speculation ran wild about when the flower would actually bloom. Finally, in late July, it looked like Big Ed was ready for showtime. Apparently, in Santa Cruz at least, humans are what the stinky plant attracts the most. One of the flower fans was Kate Garrett. I mean, who isn't going to come for, like, a flower that smells like death and only blooms every 10 years? 
Like many other visitors, she was there out of sheer morbid curiosity. I've also worked in a cadaver lab, so I'm definitely here to test the veracity of the, of the claims of how much this actually is going to smell like corpses. But the festive flower crowd was in for disappointment. Something was off, and it wasn't the smell of a blooming corpse flower. Even I was disappointed. Oh, man! What a bummer! Less than 24 hours later, the Arboretum proclaimed the corpse flower was, quote, truly a corpse. They even planned an autopsy. It seemed all hope was lost, but then, two days later, the stench began to rise, and the corpse flower was revived. It's pretty miraculous. Arboretum director Martin Quigley. Everybody was whining about how muggy it was, but that was just what it needed. Quigley says the recent warm weather awakened the comatose flower for all to smell. Jamie Cutter, a lecturer at UC Santa Cruz, standing downwind of the just awful smelling plant, says she's wanted to see a corpse flower her whole life. I was heartbroken when I heard that this one might not be blooming, and I've just been hopefully checking social media every day in case it accidentally bloomed, even though they thought it wouldn't, and I almost cried this morning. I was so excited. It's a feeling shared by the corpse flower's self-proclaimed godfather, Lincoln Taze. He and his wife convinced the Arboretum to take in the corpse flower a decade ago. He's waited 10 years for this moment. A mixture of relief and elation, yeah, and... uh, transcendence, you know, transcendent happiness. For Taze, the widespread excitement over such a stinky flower did nothing short of strengthen his faith in humanity. There's something about living things that we are drawn to and care about. And if we could only translate this into some sort of universal feeling for the environment, the world would be a better place. I guess sometimes nature needs to make a stink to remind us all to care. For the California Report, I'm Jeremiah Edding in Santa Cruz. And that's the California Report for Friday, August 12th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineers are Katie McMurrin, Danny Bringer, and Seal Muller. Our producers are Amanda Stupai and Keith Mizuguchi. Our senior editor is Angela Corral. Our interim director of news is Ki Sung. Our executive editor is Ethan Toven Lindsay. And our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm your host, Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Support for the California Report comes from Silicon Valley Community Foundation. Supporting KQED reporting on early childhood policies and practices around the state. Learn more at SiliconValleyCF.org. Stanford Healthcare, alerting listeners to the critical blood shortage in the area. Now's the time to donate blood and make a difference. StanfordBloodCenter.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute. Coming this fall, the launch of research vessel Falcor 2, advancing the frontiers of ocean science and exploration on the web at SchmidtOcean.org. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone, hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years? Or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles. The Snap Judgment Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them. 
with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? It's history, it's people, it's unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! <laughs> 